right, everyone. Welcome to Real Gunning and Born. Real Gunning and Born as we are once again without our pal Nick Kiprios. I shouldn't say once again. He's missed like two shows all year. But uh, Kipper's, Kipper's suffering from the itis. I don't know what kind necessarily, but you heard him on Friday. Uh, Sammy McKee with us here too. Sammy, all's good with our boy Kipper. You check in with him today? Yeah, I, I haven't checked. You, I, I haven't checked in with him yet today, but I think he's doing fine. Um, yeah, yeah, he's just got. Yeah, I love how you just made him sound like Bobcat. You know, taking off the whole summer. I uh, know. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> there's two shows in ten months. Uh, once again, but anyway, we are pleased to be joined by Brent Gunning again. Gunner, how you doing today, buddy? Fired up, happy to go. I'm, I'm talking. I hope you guys can hear me here. Uh, man, I'm. Uh, I am excited. Yeah, I always love being on with you guys. And let's be honest, always love doing half as much work. It's a shorter show since the last time I, I was here. So I uh, <laughs> love, love, love uh, filling in for Kipper and love uh, joining you boys. I, I, I will admit, I got my Phil and McKee this weekend. So, you know, I'm happy to talk to you, yeah. Born. But me and McKee have spent a lot of time. God, I'm kind of sick of looking at your face, bud, to be honest hey, with you. Hey, same this, here. This is amazing. This is an amazing timed show for the three of us to be together. Uh, for those of you who don't know, McKee and Gunning host the, the Sportsnet's Golf Guys uh, Saturdays at 9 a.m. It's 9 a.m., right? 9 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah, golf guys. Uh, the two of them, which qualifies them as credentialed media to cover the <laughs> RBC Open. I'm there with the rest of the paying customers on Friday. I, like, posted up, like, 30 minutes before Rory got to the third or fourth <laughs> tee to get to see him hit one golf shot. And, and there's Gunning walking along, basically arm-in-arm arm with Rory inside the ropes, just skipping along. How was the experience at the tournament, guys? It, it was incredible. I mean, I'll, I'll get going. Yeah, I followed Rory around a ton. You know, it's not, I've never been shy about where my uh, allegiances lie in terms Rory. of guys on tour. I'm a huge <laughs> huge Rory guy I absolutely love him and yeah it was incredible to get to uh, saunter around and yeah I had uh, I had one day of um, you know being with the unwashed masses out there and I said I gotta I gotta find a way to get in there <laughs> and I did and uh, yeah there there it was it was incredible I mean are you however, both inside the rope on Sunday yes yes we were however however incredible it is you, you think it would be to get a bur- like a perfect seat for a McElroy drive just add 50% to it. Like the sound, the feel, everything, the ball flight, it's just, it's incredible. And being that close, uh, I, I'm running out of words for it, which is a problem for a guy who talks for a living. Yeah, we're going to do, do a full wrap-up pod so the people that came for Hockey Talk don't have to listen to us talk about golf. But I just, the final group that we watched yesterday was ridiculous. There wasn't a bogey until what the thirteenth? Thirteenth. The thirteenth was, was the first Thomas bogey. Thomas Finau and yeah. McElroy. Yes, right? and I think Thomas made six straight birdies at one point. Like it was a joke <laughs> to watch these guys. And of course, like I know that everybody tore it up yesterday, but to stand there and watch the shots they're hitting, it's an incredibly hard golf short course. The way they had it set up, so it was it was a real real treat. Eighteen got a little greasy. Uh, the 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 crowd <laughs> broke the dam a little bit, and things got a little yeah. wild there for a moment. But it all turned out well. Fino hitting that long putt on 18 was a much-needed moment of levity. Let's just say that. It was yeah. a very, very good moment. And Gunner and I had more TV time than Tony Finau by the looks of it yesterday because my, <laughs> my phone was blowing up all day. So yeah. we can get to the hockey talk, but it will, we'll have a full wrap-up pod today on the uh, RBC Canadian Open. I knew it was uh, amazing and cool to see Rory win. But, yeah, cool that you guys got to be a part of that, just seeing what I got to see. Uh, what, what an experience. By the way, the crossover – 
between hockey and golf, and the reason I feel okay with us leading the show with this discussion today is I can't believe the amount of hockey people that were at that golf tournament. First mm-hmm. off, just based on the eye test, like, oh, that guy plays hockey, that guy plays hockey, <laughs> just a bunch of, like, semi-jacked bros with, like, flow coming oh, yeah. out the, the, the hats. Like, you can tell right. the kind of hat, too, you know. Yeah, it's like a trucker hat, but yeah. yeah. So uh, as I got to the course, I saw Taylor Hall and a group of... Saw him as well? Yeah, like NHL humans there. It's like, okay, so this is... It's relevant for for hockey people. I I saw an all-time favorite of uh, the Real Kipper and Bourne show uh, carried the conversation for weeks. I saw Nick Ritchie on the ninth ninth row. Yeah, 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 sitting there crushing a couple Sleemans. Looked like he was having a blast. (laughs) So it was... uh, He crushed a couple fewer before he joined the Leafs last (laughs) time. Yeah, but he was sitting there talking to some buds, so he was having a great time. So yeah, I saw... I, I really saw a lot of people I know, ran into a lot of people, ran into my sister yesterday, ran into my nephews, ran into everybody. It was great. Good yeah. to mingle it up. So well, great good week. tournament. Yep. And great and great one to go right up against the, the live oh, series yeah. or whatever they're calling it over there. See Rory and the get it done. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, also happened on the weekend, Saturday night, the Tampa Bay Lightning take down the New York Rangers two to one. Typical Tampa fashion, eh? Like score twice, but just there's nothing there for the Rangers. The Rangers, I think in your uh, lineup, Sammy, you had it that, uh, what is it for goals against in these elimination games here? Vasilevsky in potential series cl- clinching games is 2020 is 11 and five with a 128 goals against and a save percentage of 952. Uh, what'd you guys make a Saturday night? Man, I, I go back. Honestly, I had flashbacks to the game against the Islanders when they when they punched their ticket last time. That was a one nothing win, but it felt exactly the same of just, yep, this is going to be a low event. We are going to control the game. It's never going to feel remotely uncomfortable for the Lightning, and it just feels like they're, you know, obviously it is a it's a thing about them they have managed to come through in these moments for so many and so many different occasions but it's just the comfortability they have in these mm-hmm. tense moments that any other team and man we talk about it all the time with the Leafs and how can you close out and what does it take it just they never have any panic it doesn't matter if they're down a goal up a goal if if it's a one goal margin it feels like a five goal margin to them like they just make it look so easy in those moments yeah, yeah. I, I will say that it's crazy that when you're watching a game six of an Eastern Conference final, I was genuinely floored when the Rangers scored. Like, I was like, what? I, I, was like, I was like, they don't, that doesn't happen in these games. They scored? Like, they tied it? And then instantly, they go down the other way and just 15 put, seconds. put a dagger right in. Like, I can't imagine being involved with the Rangers. Just think if you're a, a player, a coach, a fan – and you're just you're, it, you're in it. It's a die. Like it's such a hard game. It's a war. It's a battle. How many shots they have when they scored? Was it 17, 18 shots? Yeah. They barely had any momentum. They finally find a way to climb this mountain. The bars, the the bars wouldn't have settled down yet by the time. And then it just goes down the <laughs> so other way. True. The goal's not even announced. The guys are still the- hugging, and then like Stamkos <laughs> is going, yeah. You're like, what the just happened? So yeah. I. I really, really feel for the Rangers because I like that team. I like that core, but it's just they don't have they. They don't have. They just enough. don't have it. They just don't have it. The Lightning have it, and yeah. we'll, we'll get to some Cooper clips coming up here. But like, he just talked about the way he talked about his team in the press conference. I was listening to it last night when I was getting ready for the show. He just loves these guys. Like, obviously they've ah, they've they, they, not. They're putting you in the Hall of Fame. I, I know. Like, <laughs> I, like I know that it's obvious he would love his his team. But he truly adores these guys. And it's just yeah. he's blown away by what they do. And I am too. 
I, I hate how much I love them. I am yeah. so impressed by them. I know. I, I was watching that game. So to your point about how shocking it was to see the Rangers score, Tampa Bay has given up nine goals in their last eight wins in this playoffs. Like, they, they barely ever give up anything. I think Vasilevsky had shutouts in six of their last seven elimination games. Like, to give up one, insanely rare for this Tampa team. And it's such a, like, intangibles thing for me. But I already I already look at this finals, and I know we'll talk about a little bit more tomorrow with Kipper, but it's like, on what planet is that team going to get scored on enough? I know Colorado is this great offense, but so did Florida, who scored three times on them in four games. Like... It's really hard for me, as I sit today, to imagine a team scoring enough on Tampa Bay right now to win four games off them. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's, well, that's the thing about this Tampa team. Like, McKee, you mentioned it there in terms of you can't believe how much you like them, respect them, a little bit of both. You know, think of every other dynasty or whatever you want to call what this is becoming right now in sports. Look at the Warriors and how people view them. Yeah, some people love them, but a lot of people hate them. And it just feels like... Outside of the five minutes after the Leafs lost to the Lightning, I had so many conversations with people, and they, I don't know if it's the fact that they don't have that. I, I know Corey Perry's there, and he definitely has a little bit of this to him, but they don't have this team full of rats up and down the lineup. Yes, they're gritty guys, and you know everybody loves Sorelli, but it's just I, I keep coming back to how beloved and respect they, respected they are across the league. In terms of if, if Colorado can score enough, I mean, they should be able to, but this is the thing about Tampa you know you look at that Rangers team and yeah they've got Shesterkin there and he's incredible but Tampa has the team in front of the goalie that can play like that I'm with you Bourne I think that it's going to be a completely different animal for Colorado than anything they've seen in these playoffs not to say that they might not have a game where they pop four or five past him but I don't know that there's more than one like that it feels like maybe the Avs come out hot in game one and Tampa I don't want to say gets caught so the Rangers yeah. yeah, well, exactly, right? That's exactly what that's exactly what I'm getting at there. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I saw you. Uh, I did see you tweeting a little bit about the series lines, and I jumped all mm-hmm. over it. Jumped on on Tampa to win. Jumped on Vasilevsky to take home Con Smythe because I just I don't see a world where it doesn't happen. And I think that Vasilevsky will be the difference. Yeah, that's just the ultimate Trump card. It's, it's an ultimate Trump card for them. I mean, it's going to be Francis or One Eyed Kemper against. I know. Well, it's that's like... it, right? It's like. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you're gonna have essentially a guy who barely outdueled Mike Smith. I mean, I, I know that they they got by in four games, but I didn't think the goaltending was any no. reason for so, it. So, uh, can we get to this Cooper clip about him being impressed by his team? Because it just I I want to li- for you guys to listen to the love in his voice when he speaks about his team. So, Sant Man, can Let's we get that clip going? I sit back and I'm just impressed. I'm impressed by them. It's impressive what they've done, and it, to watch their growth, watch the pain. Maybe, maybe Torts is right. Maybe he did create a monster because <laughs> they. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just I'm utterly impressed by what they do to win a hockey game, and the fact that they they have every excuse in the world to not because nobody would fault them. They're saying, "Hey, you won one, you won two, and to come back and and go for a third. I'm impressed. Like it's probably a, not the greatest word to use, but I'm damn impressed by this uh, by this group. 
That's amazing. And, and there is a level as a coach where it's like you can only do so much. And then you're at the mercy of watching what your guys do. And so I get that there is this like level of remove where you're allowed to be impressed by what you're watching, even if it is your own guys, you know? That's exactly what, what I felt like hearing that. You, you can just hear it in his voice of, look, I'm a coach. Yes, we, we implement systems and you have little check-ins with guys and you try to hold them accountable. But at a certain point in time, especially for a group that's been together this long and has actually done it, again, it's not just a team that's been together forever. They've been to the mountaintop and they basically, well, they've built a house there. It's like their compound now <laughs> atop, atop the mountaintop. And it, what does he do? This is not to say John Cooper's just opening the doors. Hey, boys, get out there. You know, I go back to the Toronto series, and he did a great job of not so much coaching through the media, but, like, keeping us in check through through the media, always kind of having control of the narrative. And that's what he has to do with this team. It feels, and again, I don't want to take anything away from him as a coach. Yes, that's a great team, but you cannot get the best out of them without a great coach. But it does feel like he is at a point with them where outside of moments, where you have to reset things or get people kind of back in line. There's none of that going on in the playoffs, and he is kind of like us. Again, I don't want to make it seem like Cooper's doing nothing here, but at a certain point in time, this team is just kind of coaching itself and, and running itself, and you can just hear that in that clip to me. Yeah, you know, I, I, Gunnar, I was listening to you. Um, wait, was it you or Sam who was saying that they don't have anyone super greasy? Uh, either me, way, I think yeah. it was you. Yeah, so I... It's such a good point that, like, they have these guys who play physical, but you don't think of them as the type of guys who end up in front of, like, league supplementary discipline or something like mm -hmm. that. You just go through the lineup. Like, Palat's not a heavy, like, guy, but he's in the right – he plays in front of the net, right? Like, mm -hmm. if one goes off his shin pads to win a game. Kaloran is like that. Sorelli's like that. They identified Nick Paul and Hagel, who both play with that bit of, bit of grease to him. We saw the Hagel fight in the series. On the back end, McDonough, Sergachev. Uh, Chernak, they have all these guys that are physical without being grease bags or dirty or whatever, and it's it's that element, I think, that separates them and, and makes them a perfect fit for playoffs. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, segues perfectly into what I wanted to say, Borny, about them is, and a, you mentioned the Leafs there, Gunnar, it's always about the Leafs, but always. the biggest thing to me that differentiates a team like the Lightning, like I look at Sorelli on their team, and I, what, how, how many goals does he have this year? In this playoff, he doesn't one? care. Does he, he doesn't one? know. Does he, he have have one goal? Like I feel I like he has one goal, and it was that shorty against the Leafs in Game Five when he scored on that kind of like semi breakaway when the Leafs made that comeback in that game. Right? That was. I, was, I was that just that looking up the points as we were talking. Uh, Kucherov has twenty three. No other player is over a point per game. Yeah. So uh, and, and to, your, to answer your question, Sorelli has one goal yes. and four assists in seventeen games. So I watch. I've watched. And he's been amazing. I've watched every. Yes. I've watched every <laughs> Lightning game except the couple after they beat the Leafs. I couldn't do the first two or three, but after that, I've watched every game. And I'm always like, God, that Kalorn is so good. God, that Sorelli. And they they never score. Kalorn like, has no goals. He has zero goals. And it's like that's the biggest difference for me is their guys who don't score. The way they contribute and the way they influence the game without scoring is so impressive. Take. It's true. That's the biggest thing I noticed, the difference. Yeah. Well, like, it's like find, I'll, find a way to be relevant. Go ahead. Well, it's just, I think, again, to bring it back to the Leafs, as it always does, you know, who is supposed to be the Leafs' Kalorn or Palat? It's like supposed to be Pierre Engvall. And we all like yeah. Engvall, and he made strides as a player. 
but he didn't do that. And again, I, I, I have been rolling out this take forever. It's not all that unique. But here's the thing. If the Leafs do get past the Lightning or they get past Columbus or they get past Montreal, I firmly believe that Pierre Engvall is a different player because you go through that and you, you actually see something to pay off of playing the different way as opposed to, okay, well, we lost. I don't know what, what I, can, I can glean from this. But it's just that's the difference between where the Leafs are at and a team that, and again, this is the absolute best team. I'm not even comparing them to Colorado, comparing them to a team that I think is going to be in a couple weeks' time, three-time-in-a-row Cup champs here. But it's just that's the difference right there. Pierre Engvall can't hold a candle to Kalorn or Pilat or any of those guys, and that's the difference between where the Leafs need to be and where they're at now. So still with that, still saying that, Gunner, do you feel any different about the Toronto Maple Leafs after seeing what the Tampa Bay Lightning have done to Florida and to the New York Rangers, and looking at their history, do you feel differently about the Leafs? So the thing I always said after the series with the Lightning was that no matter what happened with Florida, it wasn't going to change my mind how I felt because I feel like playing the Tampa Bay Lightning and playing the Florida Panthers, I guess technically they're both hockey, but it feels like they could not be further tasks on the opposite sides of the spectrum from each other. So I wasn't going to say, oh, okay, Florida beat the Lightning. I don't know how I feel about this. It makes me feel like the Leafs are oh so close, but, and this goes back to something I've, I've heard you mention all the time about just because you're close doesn't mean you can't change things. It doesn't mean you can't try to mm-hmm. find that extra edge, and that's what it is. You know, we always talk about these sliding door moments. If the Leafs say, yes, Corey Perry, please come here, Corey Perry. We actually would love to have you. The, when he decided to go to Montreal instead of, instead of the Leafs showing any interest in them. Having a guy like that does make a difference. And I just think you need to find a way to have those guys. And, of course, Perry's the perfect example of that. He knows how to walk the line perfectly because he's done it his entire NHL career. That's why those guys are really hard to find. Look at Pat Maroon. He hasn't been the absolute game changer that he's been in the past for this team this playoff. But having guys who know how to play that role matters. And it's just no matter where you look on the Leafs lineup, I just don't I don't see that guy. I like Simmons. I like Spezza. I know he's not back, but it's just they're not that guy right now. And you need to find those guys. And one thing that, you know, through all this is something you're alluding to is, you know, this team's ability to again, we're talking about intangibles, but like just find it within the group and not panic and have that sort of presence. Uh, as a group, they they stay together. That's something that John Cooper talked about as well, and and that's something that I think the Leafs found this year. Didn't quite get get them by, but let's hear the clip from Cooper on uh, on the Lightning and sticking together. And it, it takes time, but you have to give credit to like you know Jeff Vinnick and and Steve Eiserman and Julian Brisebois, and they kept the group together, believing in the long term and not just knee-jerk reaction and saying, you know what, this has got to blow up because 2019 was an easy one. That was an easy out. And But when you get knocked around and you get knocked down that many times and the team still comes back, you know you've got something. It just took us some time. And now they're back and they just keep coming back to back to back. And it's, uh, it's like I said, it, it's so awesome to be a part of but it takes a lot of belief a lot of courage and a group from the owner all the way down to stick together mm. well that feels relevant doesn't it boy oh boy it does, does it it does but it doesn't to me 
because they had success. They made it like in this era of lightning hockey, they had been past the first round. Right? Oh, like, right. Like, it's not like they're like, oh, it's an exact parallel. No, they had success before they got swept. Like, it's not like that was the, the sort of thing that, you know, made the decision. They had success. I think there would be They a, had been to the cup final the, with the same group, yes, essentially. There, well, was, Sam there was definitely a reason to fire everybody after the sweep. I will definitely say that. Like, they, that took some stones to stick with everybody after that. But I don't think there's as big a parallel as I knew that we could, you know, kind of dive into when I heard that clip. Well, it's just when you when you when you look at it and you say stick together, stick together. The the crux of the the question for me all comes down to how much is complaining about the NHL's playoff format does it lead into this? Because look, I can sit here and say if the Leafs faced any other opponent in the first round outside of maybe Colorado, they are winning a round, and if they win one, they're going to the Cup final. I I firmly believe that in my heart of hearts. But here's the thing. They could face the Lightning in the first round next year again. And you cannot just rest on your laurels of saying, hey, we, we're the third best team in the league. We're, we firmly believe that we have the roster. You very well might, but you have to find a way to, to get through that team. And it's just, that's why I go back to you do not make big, wide, sweeping changes of get Nylander out of here and fire the coach and fire the GM. But it does go back to the, I know, I know, Sam McKee. Sammy shrugged it off. Like, yeah, whatever. 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 I mean, you know, you want to do it uh look that's 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 the, the there's a part of there's a part of him in there that's a radio producer saying give me something to talk about <laughs> with, with the Nylander trade for sure but the other part of it is that's what I go back to about finding a maroon finding a Corey Perry you cannot sit there and say wow you know I really liked our Engvall and David Camp checking line you know what I did too let's find guys who can change up that mix hey you know how much I like David Camp I'd love him even more if he was the fourth line center and again this isn't a camp problem but it's just it's about supplementing the bottom and finding the right guys to change that mix without completely kind of nuking your core that's that's what I take yeah yeah no and you know one of the guys so you need your best players to be able to I love Sammy's point about um you know, contributing when you're not scoring. And that's something we saw from Steven Stamkos. And I think he has evolved as a player that, like, he had to be the point guy and the superstar and the guy doing all that, th- that those things. We've seen him evolve into an all-around guy, blocks shots, plays physical when he needs to be, and then finally has his moment in the sun, right? Last game, he scores mm-hmm. a couple of big goals. Crazy to me, he's still only got 16 points in 17 games or maybe 15, nine goals, but a lot of them have been big. Uh, Cooper also weighed in on him. Let's get John Cooper on Steven Stamkos before we get to Stewie. You know, watching Stammer's growth and going from the 60-goal scorer and the young guy to the leader, the captain, and the guy that people are rallying around... Uh, he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders. You know, he's got to score, he's got to lead, he's got to be the face of the franchise, he's got to do all these things. And at some point, you, you know, he misses our first cup run, he misses basically the whole thing. At some point, you want, you want the light to shine on him. And it has in so many different ways, but in an elimination game, to not only score the first, but to answer back 21 seconds after they... It's like a. you're so proud, and you're proud that Stammer got to do it. 
So, yeah, I mean, he was just, like, glowing, John Cooper. There's different Did he have, jo- like, four pints before he came he out? He 13, he's loving everyone, He spoke eh? for 13 minutes. Like, like he was just, yeah. he was he went Sheldon Keefe on us here. But um, what John else? John Cooper sounded like me on the patio at a wedding. I just love <laughs> I you love guys. All you you guys. guys are the best. Oh, what a happy <laughs> couple. got the cigars? Yeah. Uh, I, I just... There's a really weird thing with Leaf fans and Stamkos because of the the opportunity to sign here and the Canadian Tire presentation. And there's a very like weird undercurrent of everybody kind of not liking him. Like it's a, it's a thing amongst Leaf fans. It really there's some is resentment there. There is big time. But I have to say, and I had some. I was part of that. But I have to say now that he has just evolved into an all time kind of captain leader guy. Like it's really he's really taken the next step now into like the the leader all time kind of guy in his career to me. Well, Connor, the, you, the, the you know the I two, uh, yeah. Go ahead. go ahead, go ahead. I say you know I love you, and absolutely. The, the, this is the one time where I wish Kipper were here because he buried Jason Spezza the day after oh my the guy God. retired, <laughs> and I've heard him, you know, have some questions about Stamkos too. I wonder if there's not some late career redemption here for Stamkos that this guy can still have a Hall of Fame. I don't know where he is in the Hall of Fame oh, talk, but uh, lock, lock, yeah, lock. lock. Okay, yeah. You know, I, I think. This, this run has been validating for him. What were you going to say there, Gunner? Oh, I was just, I was just going to say to add to to add tenfold to what McKee said about the Leafs resentment thing. It the fact that John Tavares' tenure is trending the way it is here that plays into it as well, right? You see what Steven Stamkos has become, captain, leader, guy, and leading his team, and John Tavares. Thanks for that, and, well, that Gunner. Well, here's the thing. I always <laughs> well no no because you know me. I always do, but but it could have been different. That goal doesn't get waved off, and I'm not. Uh, we don't need to. We don't need to do the interference and the pick thing on Justin Hall. But that was his moment, like that. He scored the big goal in Game Six. He has another one in Game Seven. And if that goal counts, are we talking about John Tavares having this this moment? Now there are different players, and there's difference <laughs> to the game. But it's just that moment was right there for him, and it got taken uh, away. Now you could say by a Justin Hall penalty, and that's fine. We don't need to relitigate that. But it's just his moment, like that, yeah. was right there as so, well. So. Yeah, so now we're doing the J.D. Bunkett's hypothetical thing. Uh, so he's a hypothetical all-time leader. Yeah. Well, we'll get someone else to weigh in uh, on this. We, we're now joined by Anthony Stewart, former NHLer, current Sportsnet hockey analyst, the founder of Hockey Equality. Stewie, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, guys. I thought I uh, tuned in to an episode of uh, Napoleon Dynamite talking about Uncle Rico. If they would have put him in in 85, they would have won state championship. <laughs> Buddy, we're a least show if you don't expect us to relitigate things from the first round. I don't know what you're looking, walking into here. First um, round's all we got, Stewie. It's all we let got. Let it go. Let it go. Let the paint let out. Let it go. Let it go. Yes. Uh, all right, Stewie. So, um the, the Stanley Cup final is set to be the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, why don't you start? Just give us your takeaways from uh, Tampa Bay on Saturday night, taking out the Rangers and, uh, and your expectations for them going forward. Well, it's, it's, it's funny, and I don't think anyone can, you know, call themselves Nostradamus, but, you know, as an analyst and, a, and a, you know, former player, you know, when they were down 2 nothing, the Tampa Bay Lightning, I was like, I still think they're going to win this series. There wasn't really any panic in their game, and I think that just sums them up to a T where regardless of where they are in a series, a game, a period, a segment, they just find a way to get it done. And I was just looking over the stats of that game six uh, against uh, the Rangers there. 34 block shots. <laughs> and you go through Yeesh. some teams that uh, you know are saying they're contenders. This is one of the most skilled teams in the National Hockey League. 
blocking shots with their teeth, with their eyeballs, finding ways to get in ways of puck. So how are you going to now, you know, get past that layer of defense? And then you have one of the best goalies in the world in Vasilevsky. So, you know, I'm hearing all the hot takes saying, well, it's going to be Colorado at five and six. You know, I would not be surprised this uh, series goes to distance just based on Tampa Bay playing as a team. It's amazing to watch. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, grateful to have the pleasure to, you know, call some of their games during the playoffs. Well, with the with the lightning there, you you mentioned it of just they've they've fall down two nothing in the series. They could fall down in the game. They could fall down in this series, and it feels like all of us just kind of have this belief of well, they'll they'll figure it out. They're Tampa. I can't think of the last time you know just covering and watching this league that we felt this way about a team that they're always going to come through. You know the Crosby Penguins teams that have been around forever and went to three straight Cup finals. I don't even know that we gave them this level of respect because it felt like it was always well, it's Sid and Gino and it's that magic. Like it felt like it was more of a kind of the credit almost went to one or two players. It feels like with this Lightning team, we all just have such belief in them. And not to take anything away from the Kuch. And, and Hedman's and, and Vasilevsky's and Stamkos, but maybe it's that they just have so much star power, the credit gets spread out. I just, I can't remember the last time everybody seemed to have this much confidence in the team that, yeah, they're always going to find a way to get through. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, with the buy-in. And I don't think enough credit's given to John Cooper on just how he gets the buy-in by this group. Riley Nash was in that series, <laughs> and, he, and he was making a difference, right? And I remember when he was uh, playing for Toronto, I said he had the potential to be a difference maker, and I think Justin was scoffing at me when I was saying that. But, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter the personnel. They just find a way to get it done. And, you know, could you imagine a Kalorn in this market not having a goal in playoffs? You know, the, the people that be, you know, what they'd be saying about him, you know, but he's playing a great two-way game, and it just finds it's not about the points and assists. Everyone has a role. Everyone's tugging in the same direction, but they just have the depth. They have the Maroons, the Colts. The Pauls, Sorelli's been playing some amazing hockey as well too, and you know Sergachev, and you know every so often you see it's uh, Zach Bogosian time where he's making a huge rush. So it's just a it's just a group, a concoction of players that are towing in the same direction, and I think that's what makes them successful and separates them from other the other teams in the National Hockey League. Well, so Stewie, so you played. I th- so I'm trying to make the comparison. So we obviously didn't play at the same levels. Um, but for myself, I was a winger who was not particularly, you know, I ran into people, but not overly tough and didn't love blocking shots. Like I was, I tried to be a skill guy. Y- you had mentioned at points in your career, you wished you had committed more to the defensive side of things and the shot blocking and all that. Watching this Tampa Bay team, how hard is it for the guys who are supposed to score, or at least a little bit, like Kaloran being a 25-goal guy, who's still willing to make yourself be the defense first guy? Like, I'm so impressed by their ability to focus on one side of the puck rather than I would just be so puck-hungry. Like, I got to get one to, be, to, to show my usefulness, you know? Yeah, but I think that's just the buy-in and, uh, you know, the trust in the coach, right? The coach, you know, my, I had my best year when I had a coach said, hey, just go out and play. Don't worry about the goals and assists. They'll come. Just go out and play. But, you know, in this time in the National Hockey League, it's about me. It's about how much goals I get, how many assists I get, how much of all the money am I going to make as well, too. But, you know, this is what separates this Tampa Bay team. Hey, just go out get the wins we'll find a way to take care of you look at pat maroon you know if he didn't win those cups he could have been done you know two three years ago Corey perry you know could have been on his way out of the league but they're just coming in finding ways to get it done it's not about the goals and assists it's about the collective uh we and if you come in and win cups you're looking at guys like the goudros and the coleman's that are going on to greener pastures making the money so you know if i'm a guy that's sort of yeah i'm not sure where i'm going to go in my career i'm going to tampa bay lightning to win a championship because that can help jumpstart you and help you make money down the line 
Well, yeah, you'd, you'd be dying to be a trade deadline pickup by these guys. I think part of it is, obviously, Breezewa is doing a good job identifying players that will fit in with his system. You look at Hagel, you look at Paul, and in, in years past, like you mentioned, the Goudreau and the Coleman additions there. It, it feels to me like, yes, obviously, these are the right players, and trading for the right guys is obviously part of it, but it feels to me like Tampa just has a much bigger margin for error, that if they don't get quite the perf the guy who fits perfectly this team will find a way to kind of fit them in the system you know I look at a guy like Nick Paul and even Cooper early on was saying I wasn't quite sure how to use him I didn't know where he fit in but a player like that is just going to be more useful in a team like Tampa where everything is just so set up and the players just have such familiarity you know you think of it like anything in life you step into a smooth situation it's just kind of easier to get rolling than if everything's kind of chaotic around you and it feels to me like that that part of it doesn't get quite enough credit either for for just how finely tuned the machine Tampa is. Yeah, and it's an asset management type of thing too. And I think the key word you said, he wasn't sure how he was going to use them, but what did he do? He just used them and he figured it out. And I think that's the difference with some other teams where you know guys are getting their ice time messed around with, they're in and out of the press box. Look at Maroon. Maroon didn't have a great regular season, uh, but what did they do? They found a way just to let him be, let him play his game, let him get his sound bites in the media, but come playoff time, you know he's ready to go. He's the modern day uh, Joel Ward where you know exactly what he's going to get, what you're going to get from him in the playoffs. The same thing with Corey Perry. So I think now um, it's just identifying those players that have that buy-in. And again, it's tough. It's tough. There's millions of dollars at stake. There's a lot of money at stake here for some of these players where, yeah, it, it's important to have um, you know great seasons to, to make some money. But you're looking at this team and this a collective guys that want to win championships. And for me... You know, I took advantage of that as a player. I was like, hey, I need to score 20 goals because I want to make 2 million bucks or 3 million bucks. So, you know, I could see myself not fitting in uh, in this Tampa Bay team. But as an analyst now, I wish I could come back and play the game the right way because it's amazing to see the glory and the accolades that these guys are going for playing the game the right way. I 100% wish I could go back and play knowing what I know now about like, hey, people watch when you're not scoring goals. I should yeah. do some other things. It'd be very helpful. So looking at the other side of uh, the, the Stanley Cup final, they got a pretty sp- special player in Colorado and Kale McCarr. He's the front runner for the Con Smythe Trophy right now, 22 points. You know, you're, you're coaching young kids, Stewie. I think the kids are, what, 14 years old? Something you can tell us in your answer. But is this a product of the next generation of players, the the way he moves and plays uh, so offensive but still able to shut things down defensively? Well, if this was the Matrix, I think he'd be Neo because he is the one and there's only one he one, is. right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and, and again, I always talk about as a winger, you know, covering your points, I would be shaking in my boots just, you know, oh, you I know. Know he's be going a left, right, up, down, <laughs> spinorama, Denny Savard. Um, and again, I see a lot of kids, well, I want to be Kale McCarr. It's like, well, guys, it's very, very tough, but just watch how explosive he is. Watch how his head is up every single time. And I think... Uh, you know, Kevin BX made the perfect point. Yeah, he's an offensive defenseman, but he's a complete defenseman. And seeing him pace Connor McDavid going backwards in that series, who's the you know one of the fastest guys with the puck of all time, he's he's an anomaly of the system too. But it's just a pleasure to watch. And I always tell the story of. Um, you know, my wife putting the kids to bed and going up around 10 o'clock and saying, hey, don't worry, I'm just going to watch the rest of the first period of this avalanche game. I'll be up. And I come up at 1 o'clock because I watched the whole entire game because I can't take my eyes off the screen there. So it's a pleasure to watch McCarr. And, you know, we haven't even talked about McKinnon yet. Just seeing these guys do it. I was a fast guy. I was a pretty quick guy without the puck. So I'm amazed to see that these guys keep this speed and intensity and tenacity with the puck. I've never seen uh, anything like that as a player and analyst as well.
that that sequence you're talking about with McDavid charging down one on one on Makar, it was the quickest one on one I've ever seen in my life, and just the <laughs> the ease with which Makar just kind of swatted it away, and then all of a sudden Colorado's kind of back charging charging the other way. You you know you mentioned it. We haven't talked about McKinnon. Let's talk about him. You know whatever Kale Makar is as a skater as a defenseman, it feels like I mean obviously McDavid's this guy is a forward, but man McKinnon is is right there. If Connor McDavid didn't exist, I feel like all the things we say about his skating we would be saying about McKinnon's. He, I mean, he is just as breathtaking. And honestly, I'm, I'm really excited to see him kind of go against a Tampa team because, quite frankly, the Avs just haven't been tested by a team like this yet. Yeah, and next year I'm going down to coach the nine-year-olds. And on the nine-year-olds, there's usually one or two kids that go and take the puck end-to-end, and it's just amazing. They dangle through the whole team and they score a goal, which is, you know, that's sort of the standard at that age. But to see someone do that at the National Hockey League level (laughs) and just the speed where, you know, I always talk about getting a step on somebody's, you know, players like McKinnon, they need a quarter of a step. They need an inch, and they are just gone. And, you know, just seeing him take that puck to the net full speed, you know, I always talk about me trying to cut in, and my body would not let me do that because I was so worried about that weak side D coming to kill me, you know, every single time. So just the the no fear with the skating and the edges and always crossing over. It's just almost like you know 16th beats and playing the drum. They're just going every. So you know it's it's tough to really explain it, but it's just a pleasure to watch these kids moving. So I'm like, how do they move? You know, this fast for this long, this deep into the playoffs, and I think it just shows you know the commitment to. You know the uh, you know the off ice training that a lot of these star players have because back in the day the star players they sort of take it easy in the gym. No, no, no. The best players now are the beasts in the gym. So it's amazing to watch, and I'm excited for the future of the game for sure. Yeah, I like the drum analogy. It is crazy watching their feet. It's like how how many ladder drills do you have to do to move your feet at that pace? <laughs> the um, we'll, we'll leave you with uh, uh, the general question of what do you make of the finals? Is there a, a team you like here? Is it going to be experience or is it going to be that speed and skill of guys like McKinnon and McCarr? Um, I, it's too tough to handicap. And, I, and again, yeah. I think it's going to be exciting. And everyone was saying, well, you know, the Edmonton series was sort of uh, disappointing. No, I was on the edge of my seat the whole entire game, whole entire series. Uh, and the same thing, too, with uh, the Tampa series as well. So it's going to be entertaining, to say the least. Um, I'm going to be excited to see the specialty teams battle. Just watching both of these power plays click, <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch. And then you have the yeah. goaltending battle as well. So, you know, I know there's, uh, you know, I think you had uh, – uh, Colorado and three, Justin, but I think it's going to go a little bit uh, longer than that. <laughs> all right. I don't think I did, but yeah, anyway. Um, all right. Well, Stewie, we're looking forward to uh, to watching it too, and we'll get you back on here and assess if it was Colorado and three or whatever. Uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us today, bud. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Go Leafs, go. Anthony Stewart, <laughs> former NHLer, still mixing in the Go Leafs, go. I appreciate it. That's become yeah. a staple for him. Breaks my heart. I really appreciate it. I, I, I feel like that was just for me. I loved it. It was great. It really wasn't for me. He tells, he, tells me, he tells me to let it go. Just to pull back the curtain here, we're hanging around on the Pro-Am Day at the Canadian Open, and I was complaining to Rory McIlroy about the Leafs. So there, is, there will <laughs> is never be a time. Yes. yes, this is true. I was at the rink hole. He's, he's very loose in the Pro-Am Day. He's yucking it up. You know how, like, somebody said something about the Leafs, and I'm just like, I couldn't help myself. I'm like, it's so painful, Rory. And then he turned around <laughs> and was like, 
okay, buddy. Like, <laughs> you look like you look like you're old enough to be my dad. So maybe get a hold of yourself. He, he turned around and looked at you, and it was the scene from Happy Gilmore, and he's Happy Gilmore. My God, yeah, exactly, <laughs> it's all six exactly. five, a Brent Gunning with a mustache. Sam McKee has a picture of it. There, there's photo evidence of me it, complaining the, the about compar- beliefs to the Rory com- McIlroy. The comparison was the Marshall guy that was doing all the introductions was talking about Man United sucking, and then there was a there was a parlay. Uh, a parlay. God, get the gambling in my, uh, in my on my mind. But there was a comparison to the Leafs and Man U, and then that went, it went from there. And then Gunner said something like, "Oh, hope is a hell of a thing." And he turned around. He's like, "Yeah, okay, buddy." Basically, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to make it out to be a great interaction, yeah, but it was. He one. smiled at you. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Gunner, how tall are you? Uh, I uh, six four, six five, somewhere in there. Yeah, McKee's six um, six. What are you six five? I think he's pretty got much me the, by, the exact I think same he's height. He's got me by a hair, but it, I giants. actually think it's all posture. I, McKee, very <laughs> stand up straight guy. I'm always like, yeah. uh, hello. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get it more into the hockey and less into McKee and <laughs> More Gunning. posture takes coming yeah. up next. <laughs> yeah. All right, we will be back after a short break. We'll uh, we'll wrap things up, talk about the Leafs firing Steve Breer. Uh, Cassidy's out in Boston. We'll touch on all that stuff in just a sec here. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Real Born and Gunning. I don't know. We're just going to keep mixing it up in some capacity until it makes sense. I like it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, one thing I was happy to get to chat about, which I don't think we talked about last week at all, was a change at the Toronto Maple Leafs. Did you know this is the Toronto Maple Leaf show? Oh, I'm very aware. Very aware. Yes. We, uh, we managed to bring everything back to it, and then we didn't even discuss. The Leafs fired their goaltending coach, uh, Steve Briere, which is uh, quite notable the Leafs goaltending has been a hot-button issue for years. <laughs> Freddie Anderson was very good, struggled in big games. Uh, Jack Campbell, the biggest roller coaster season in goaltending. I wonder if there's ever been a larger one where a guy was like, Vesna front runner, worst goalie in the league, Vesna, you know, like, and then found somewhere in the middle by the end. But I can't help but wonder if the ability to pull him out of that funk is not what did in Briere in the end. Um, what are your thoughts on going to the superior to the goaltender, the goaltending coach, and saying this is where we're going to make a change? I think that when you have a position like goaltending that is so in flux from year to year, and it look, and I think part of it is, you know, obviously they'd have some internal understanding of how the dynamic is there with him. You know, I, it does make me wonder about what the relationship was like between Briere and Campbell. You know, the longer this goes, the less I feel that Jack is going to be back with with this team. So I don't know that it actually bleeds in there. But look, it, it's clear as day to to me, anyways, that this looks. Looks like a team that, if the goaltending was a little better, we'd probably have seen them win around at some point in time. So you look at a guy who's been here throughout that. This isn't to say he has to wear it all, but if you're not going to change the GM and you're not going to change the coach and goaltending is going to change and it has been an issue, I can easily see how the team kind of ends up going going that route and making the change there. Yeah, I think you're on like year, what, six of the yeah. Leafs goaltender not outperforming the other team's goalie, and you're mm-hmm. not going to blame the goalie coach for a one-off, but at, one, at what point is he responsible? 
You know, at the goaltending coach position, or that role Man. is the, the most impossible to pin down to, say, successful or not successful. Like, if you're a goaltending coach and your goalies are good, I don't know. Great. You know, like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> I, I just mean, like, he's been – Freddie Anderson was good when they got him. He mm-hmm. was good when he was here, and he just kind of – Stay good. I don't know. And then Jack Campbell, I don't know. Jack Campbell was a guy who was very close with Dusty Amu, who the Marlies hired, then had to fire because he was tweeting about QAnon. Mm. <laughs> oh, some, questions, right. some questionable likes on Twitter, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what it says about Jack Campbell, if there is some influence there. Is this like a... Campbell would want his own guy or Campbell, you know, would this be some way Campbell wasn't happy with him? Would be this be some sort of appeal to Campbell and say, hey, we'll get a different guy. Would this help? Do you want, do you guys, wonder want, if it, oh, you guys want to know my strategy if I was a goaltending coach? Yes. Make the save. <laughs> Cover your what? angles. You're a professional. Like, just do the thing. I, I goal t- like you said it, Borne, goaltending coach, worst job in sports. So I sat beside uh, the Leafs goaltending coach, well, sorry, the Marlies goaltending coach, uh, Piero Greco, who now is the Islanders guy. He's been the Islanders guy for the last three years or something. And I watched him work with the goaltenders. I watched him pour through every shot attempt, save, goalie touch from the game before. He'd go through it all. Okay. Clip the relevant ones. The goalie would come in and sit down, and he would say, okay, on this two-on-one here, you see how you left your crease a little, little early? Don't do that. <laughs> you know, sometimes sometimes when the goalie, a shot would go in from a bad angle, he'd be like, you're off your angle there. And the goalie would be like, okay. yeah, I was. And, like, not to diminish Piero or the goaltending, you know, then they went out on the ice and they worked on things, and he did go through the video with them. But, like, to Sam's point, there is a large element of, like, all right, here's the way you like to play. You know, on this save, I thought you were flat to the angle. You need to be more square to the shooter. You need in the Okay. But I think it's a, a position where you can skate by if your goalies are good. No disrespect to Steve Briere. He was a, with the, a team in the NAHL when they hired him. He came by. The Leafs had good goaltenders, and he kind of hung around to the goaltending wasn't good enough. So. Well, and to your point about with other positions on a coaching staff, you know, if, if it's the coach who runs the PP and the power play looks disjointed and they're not shaking things up, you know, even a relatively layman hockey fan can look at that and go, well, why are they standing in the same spots all the time? Why aren't they trying anything new? But to your point with goaltending, it is so fine. It's a quarter inch here. It's move out a half second earlier there. And it's just stuff that even, you know, even goaltending coaches really, really need to watch carefully to, to pick it yeah. up. So, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a frustrating thing for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I just always think back to that, the, the, like the, the gift from the content gods, the all or nothing, which I never finished, by the way. I never watched the last episode because it was nothing for, for obvious reasons. But, um, the, the, the video of, uh, Keith just killed Oh, Breer, so good. Where he's just like, can we get one save? And he'll, he'll he's say, like, like uh, the show is tipped. He's like, well, can he stop something that's tipped? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he ran down like it was, this one went off a knee. This one was tipped. There were three screens, and he's like, just just one. I don't I don't even care. Just one yeah. of them. Pick yeah. one and well, stop it. That was the criticism of Briere, though, is that he was too close with the goalies. Like, the mm. goalie and the goalie coach formed, like, their own little alliance. Mm. And then so you can't get honest feedback 
the coach is like, hey, what's going on with this guy? He can't stop one. And if the goalie's defensive of his guys. and Yeah, I could see that being. Point. I could feel the tension there well, and for then, sure. Then yeah. Maybe Jack Campbell, if he's back, shouldn't get to pick his own guy. Maybe that, that shouldn't 100%. happen. Not, not to say that that's why they, they made this move. But, uh, yeah, maybe I, don't do that. I think there's a lot, though, with a goaltending coach that's very similar to, like, the hitting coach in baseball. Like, I think there's a lot of parallels I thought you were going to say a psychiatrist. Where it's, well, yeah, that for yeah, sure. That's but where, legit, man. Where it's like a specialized coach for a position or whatever in baseball. It's like, yeah, as soon as the, the like, I mean, just to do a Jays parallel, we got Blair and Barker coming up here after, but like the Jays were horrible all for the first two months hitting. And everyone's like, they got to get rid of, is it Guillermo Martin? They got to get rid of the hitting coach. And now it's like, they're just they scored ten runs a game. Everyone's like, "Wow, Martinez, what a job he's doing!" Like it's it's yeah. it's a very you have no depend, idea. It's dependent on what the guy in the position does if you're a good coach or not. But I guess that's coaching yeah. across all things. It is, but it's weird with skills. You, you know, it's it's tough to 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 dial that in. You know, I I imagine if you're a goaltender, it's very frustrating if you don't like your goalie coach. Like you know, you say mm. maybe you don't want the goalie to have his guy, but every single day. These guys go through video together, and then they go out on the ice. And imagine if, like, you're a golfer and you don't like your golf coach or he's mm. telling you something you don't want to hear. <laughs> yeah. I often think, too. Sitting a little closer to home than you might realize, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but often there's, like, if a goaltender wa- a goaltending coach wants a goalie to make a, a big change and the goaltender doesn't want to make that change, the goalie coach has two options. He can either relent and let the goalie do what he wants or get fired. Yeah. He Truly. Can fire. Those are the he, options. You know, if you keep pushing, say, he, I want him to do this, he doesn't want to do it, well, then we're going to have to get someone who the goalie can work with. So so you end up, I think the goalies have all the leverage. If, oh, man, here's a here's a take that's going to get me in trouble with some people. Yes. But I kind of think that, like, a lot of skills coaches and goalie coaches, there's a ton of luck involved. And I don't want to say snake oil, but there's a lot of – Make it sound more complicated mm. than it is, so you sound like an expert. You Love know, like, do not disagree. Just a, a hot, fiery one disagree. as the show goes on. I know, but like, <laughs> you know, see a defenseman do a pivot, and the skills coach would be like, "We're gonna work on your heel toe removal backsplash," <laughs> and it's like creates his own language. It's like it's a pivot. It's a pivot. Uh, um, anyway, we're uh, thank you for joining us today. We are out of fun. time, Gunner. Appreciate having you, buddy. It was fun. Uh, and we'll look forward to getting more RBC takes from you guys on your on your pod today. We'll be joined again tomorrow by Nick Kiprios. This has been Real Gunning and Born and McKee. Thanks.